Hello! Welcome, everybody, uh, for a new episode of the .NET on AWS show. Uh, today, uh, I'm not joined by Brandon Minnick. Uh, unfortunately, Brandon is sick, so I wish him a prompt recovery. And I'm joined by the amazing uh, Darko. Uh, hello, Darko. How are you doing? I'm doing good. As I said in the beginning of our discussions, I am the store brand. Brandon, um, I'm, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always great to be uh, well with you. AJ, hey, hello, friends from the chat. Hello, everyone. So, Darko, last week uh, was a reInvent week. Um, as usual with Brandon, we start with uh, uh, the news from LRES. So what, what, what are your main highlights from reInvent? Okay, let me... I, I actually, I actually want to show you, not just talk about it. I'm going to present... I'm going to present my screen. It has absolutely been <clears throat> a big old week for us uh, here at Re at AWS because of reInvent. But here's the thing. It's actually, I'm going to cheat here a bit. It's a pre-invent announcement. So this was launched just before reInvent. And it's one of my <clears throat> one of my favorite favorite uh, favorite announcements of, of last week. Uh, well, actually, not last week, two weeks ago. Um, it's Code Whisper for command line. Remember, friends, yeah. everything is generative high these days. Um, and this has been one of the, I think it's in preview, or is it fully launched? I have no idea. But um, it, it gives you basically um, command line, um, well, generative AI for the command line. So uh, it is it is a little tool that you install currently only, and I know this is the .NET show, currently available only on Mac, um, but it's going to happen, hopefully, for other places as well. But let me, let me showcase how this works. Um, so you install command line uh code whisper command line and if you if i do this cw doctor i think i want to see does it work let me see everything's fine okay so let's say uh, you want to do something from a, from the command line um you want to push uh some json data to an api endpoint and you can do it with curl right you can do it with curl you can do it with http or whatever you want but i don't know the command so what I can do is I can write a comment and say, uh, push some JSON data into an API with curl. If I hit enter, it hopefully should give me a command. Look at that. Curl exposed. Da -da -da -da. Beautiful. Amazing. I love it. Um, you can regenerate. Yeah. It will give you a different option. Uh, well, actually, it won't give you a different option, which is kind of weird. Oh, uh, okay. I, have a, I have a question for you. Uh, yes. Because when I need to use Git, in the command line, I always end up <laughs> going back to the documentation. Can it help exactly. with Git? So I, I think you can do well. So there's a couple of options. It has the what what people used, used to call what people call IntelliSense. So if you do Git, and then it gets you all of these like wonderful little commands, and like it knows the command you're trying to run. But you can also do um, I don't know um, reset uh, the the Git re repo to its initial commit um i think it will give you yeah hard head like it will give you like all of these kinds of commands and it's also great that it gives you a warning hmm? uh, that this command is kind of dangerous right um it, it is great again as a developer as a person who writes code i don't like to leave the beauty of my tech of my command line so i could go you know to google and just search those commands but 
if I can all do it from here, that is just amazing. So this is by far my favorite favorite, favorite announcement from last week. So uh, I love it. I think it's great. Um, I, I, I look forward to using it more. I've actually been speaking to the folks who made this. So I'm, I'm waiting for a Linux version and I'm waiting for this to work over SSH because it doesn't work over SSH yet. So uh, yeah, that's mine. What about you, Francois? What's, what's your favorite thingy thing from last week? Yeah, so my favorite thing, and I had the pleasure to to present a session about it is um, Code Whisperer inside Visual Studio 2022. So we were, as a .NET developer, we were waiting for it. So uh, we we could already access to Code Whisperer when uh, we use a JetBrain Rider, uh, and I mm -hmm. use a lot of JetBrain Rider on my Mac, uh, but uh, I couldn't access Code Whisperer uh, in Visual Studio and know it is fixed. So uh, I really lo uh, love this. Uh, so Amazon Code Whisperer, for those who don't know, is our AI coding companion. And it is really good when it comes to uh, using LRES SDK. Uh, for example, uh, in the session I've run uh, last week, uh, I showcased how to um, use Code Whisperer to store some data in uh, an Amazon DynamoDB table. Yeah. And in the .NET SDK for AWS, we have three options to do this. One is using the low-level API. Mm -hmm. Second one is to use a document model uh, way to store your data. And the third one is object persistent model. And the only difference if the namespace you use uh, at the top of your uh, at the top of your file, and what I've shown is that you just have to change the namespace, and then you trigger Code Whisperer. You just write a command, put this data into my DynamoDB table, and you trigger Code Whisperer, and it gives you the right way uh, to to store your data just because you've specified the right namespace. So depending on the namespace you use. It will provide you the the appropriate code, so it knows really all the option to to use the .NET SDK for AWS. So that's what I love with uh, Code Whisperer. And the other good part for individual, it's free, so you can just uh, log in uh, to Amazon Code Whisperer with an AWS builder ID, basically your personal email address, for example, and you can use it for free. So that's that's my uh, biggest announcement. It's great. Again. Code Whisperer is just one of those things that kind of helps you build stuff. Like it's just don't don't hesitate to use it. It just will help you a lot uh, immensely. Um, before we continue, I want to say hi, hi to the friends in the chat. I see AJ is here. Katron Gaming, hey, welcome! Thank you so much. I I remember seeing your name in the chat. Thank you so much for being part of the live streams last week. It's always great to see you all back. So, uh, and for the folks in chat, um, um, if you're here for the first time, if you're watching this show for the first time, and it is a Monday morning, at least in the West Coast, um, hello, say hi in the chat. It's always great to see you, VJ. Welcome back. Yeah, That's and we cool. also have we also have some people from uh, Europe uh, because. Europe, it's a Monday afternoon. It's so. Monday afternoon for you, yeah. Um, yeah, which is great, but it is a Monday though. So <laughs> <laughs> it is a Monday, definitely. And um, now I would like to uh, introduce our guest of the day. Um, it's uh, Maving Spencer uh, Schneidenbar. Uh, he's a principal consultant at uh, Aviron Software uh, and is deep in the .NET community for years. So uh, let's. Uh, introduce uh spencer spencer Good morning 
Or are you? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Exactly, exactly. We're everywhere, Spencer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Spencer, thanks for joining today. Uh, uh, As usual, I will start with uh, the first question. How do you get into IT and how did you get into the .NET community? Can you share with us uh, your journey to, to where you are now? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I will say I, I kind of, it was a, a little bit of dumb luck. When I got out of college, I had a business degree that I could do nothing with uh, because it, it, I, it was the most generalist degree I could think to get that wasn't literally general studies. Um, and so I found I, I used to work as a waiter at Bob Evans and I knew somebody, uh, I, I waited on some, somebody sometimes who, uh, who asked me one day, don't you know something about computers? Uh, and as I talked to them more, I, uh, I, uh, got a job at a, as a kind of a break fix it support generalist, uh, working, I think it was like $12 an hour or something like that. Uh, and I learned a lot on that job. And one of the things that I learned was that they had these, a lot of programming tasks and only one programmer who was a contractor. Uh, and I asked one day, Hey, I did this programming stuff in college. Can I learn how to do that? And they were like, sure. Yeah. They, I think they saw it as an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to get some really cheap programming in. And, uh, I took it and ran with it. Uh, my first language was, um, it was in college was visual basic and I got a C in that class, but that was my first language in the real world. Well, actually sequel was sequel. Yeah. Sequel. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I did, uh, my boss at the time, actually, I still work with them, uh, as a consultant, uh, my boss at the time, um, really did a lot of behind the scenes stuff in SQL, um, stuff that, you know, I don't know if he didn't have budget or if we just had other priorities, but he'd have to go and edit database rows and, and look and see where, what the data showed him. Uh, and so I was taught to do the same thing. So I learned SQL first, uh, in the real world. And, uh, honestly, I feel like that served me pretty well overall. Um, well- what version of Visual Basic was it? Oh, at the time when I started, I think they were still on Visual Basic 2003. Um, and I remember they took on a project to upgrade to 2008. And I think the year was 2010 and they were upgrading to 2008. And that was a big deal. Uh, a lot of things broke. Uh, I was a little bit involved in that. Um, okay. But, it was, but uh, you know, it was good. It, that was a good thing because then you got Link. At the very least, that was the... A huge boon in uh, productivity, and uh, it's just a nice thing to have around, as opposed to for looping everything. Okay, and so the thing of you starting, and how did you get from there to now today? You're uh, owning your own uh, consulting company. What what was your path to what you do today? Yeah, so I I learned a lot on that job, and that was one of the good things about that job is that I was given a huge amount of freedom to learn and experiment, uh, and that's why I say I got lucky because there's lots of people who don't get those opportunities, um, and it was a lot of fun. But I started wanting to, I started really getting it. I originally I thought I was going to be like an exchange engineer and do Active Directory stuff. I thought that was going to be my my career path until I actually got to programming and realized how much better it was. Um, so, or at least for me, better for me, I should say. Um, so I started taking side jobs. Uh, I started just wanting to learn more. I remember one of the side jobs I had was trying to figure out why this guy's Ajax request was failing. And at the time I didn't know what Ajax was. And so somebody gave me 50 bucks to learn one of the most valuable things that I'd learned. Like it, and it it took me about an hour to figure out 
guy gave me 50 bucks. He was very happy uh, with the with the trying to figure out why this request wouldn't work. And I was just blown away. And then I got to learn. So it was like learning on the job. And so I started taking more side jobs. I eventually got another job uh, wanting to be like advance my career or wanting to to learn other things at other companies. Um, and I just kept doing side work. I worked with that company after I left for, I still work with them. Uh, and that's yeah. been almost 11 years. And by the way, nobody still nobody knows what Ajax is. By the way, is that is that <laughs> is that really true? Like I'm making is that? I was gonna say like I know that nobody calls it Ajax anymore. I still call it that because of habit. But uh, making HTTP requests in JavaScript is that better? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Ajax was the bane of my existence when I was younger. So yeah, I get it. I get you full. So yeah. Uh, um. I I hear a pattern in what you've said is about learning and be be curious and continuous learning so that's how you get there yes right uh, that's exactly right and it's about to me one of the things i learned early on was communication was like the one of the most important aspects of my job um and i learned that at on the real job and then learned that as a consultant on the side just doing like i said little odd jobs here and there um i figured out that one of the i was you know working I was competing with at the time on a, it was a platform called guru.com. I don't know if it still exists. I think it does. Uh, and I was competing with a lot of engineers who would work for five, $10 an hour. Um, but I was able to, I was able to sell that by just being a good communicator, by going into their project description, writing out what I thought I could do. And, uh, that was really the, the thing. So I learned that early on was figuring out like, that was probably the, one of the most important parts of my career is figuring out that not only is code communication, but shaking hands, talking to people, emailing people, that's communication. It's really important. I think uh, understand, yeah, uh, underst understanding the requirements, right? I think like one of the, one of the, one of the challenges that comes in, 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 in well, tech projects is just understanding the requirements. When somebody asks you to do something, the communication between the two of you, the clearer it is, the faster you can start working and actually delivering on what they want. So, uh, yeah, that is, that's a good thing to have. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of social engineering. I love to call it this. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess you could call it that, and that's social engineering for good, right? As opposed to trying to call people and getting somebody's password over the phone or stealing yeah. somebody's identity. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you are a consultant, uh, I would like to have your uh, perspective as a consultant uh, on the .NET community and the .NET industry. Where? What are the the type of project you you work on? What what do you see uh, uh, at your customer? So I have a huge diverse set of customers in terms of the technologies and the things that they do. Um, one of the things we were talking about in pre show is my love for um, is my love for legacy .dot net. Uh, and I and I mentioned something about loving legacy .dot net. Darko turns around and pulls a Visual Basic .dot net book off of his shelf and. <laughs> And sure enough, I was like, I still do that. I still write visualbasic.net, but I also do a lot of modern stuff. I also talk about, yep, there it is. I love that. Visual Basic. Now, I never did Visual Basic 4. The, the thing Nobody the did this. It's, I think it's too old <laughs> for all of us here. This book was, I think, released in like the late 90s. So uh, I don't think any of us, at least in this on the, on the screen, have done this. Um, I don't think any of us is this old. So no, I, I've done I, Visual Basic six, and I still do a little bit of classic ASP from time to time for a customer. That was probably 
the 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 most surprising when I started getting a consultant, I was somebody actually handed me classic ASP code. I actually worked on a couple projects like that. Okay. Um, but uh, as far as .NET goes, I, it kind of runs the gamut. I I do a lot of modern .NET. I have a a client who has a very performance it, it critical application that runs on Kubernetes and runs entirely on a suite of .NET microservices that uh, processes audio and video incoming. Uh, incoming audio and video files from, and they have to process huge streams from like Fortune 100 companies. And then I have people who just have a, a project that, you know, they just need some, they need some, they need some guidance, right? How do we continue to invest in this product, but not keep writing Visual Studio or sorry, Visual Basic uh, and Web Forms code and trying to get kind of striking a balance for that kind of um, like transitioning them without trying to sell them a whole rewrite, which I almost never do, uh, is a is a fun challenge. It's a, it's probably the most fun I have at my job is kind of figuring out how do we modernize this while still like not trying to, as, as the startup people say, not trying to boil the ocean or do too much at once, as it were. Okay, so... so, so go ahead, Francois, if you want. Yeah, so do, do you mean... Um, Taking some part of the application and rewrite those parts, or adding new feature uh, in a modern way—that's what you mean. Um, so Ty that's a good question. First of all, I gotta say, I see you in the chat, Tyree. Tyree uh, lives in my area; is a friend of mine uh, who's a .NET developer. Uh, so hi, Tyree. <laughs> um, so it really—I mean, this is the uh, typical like developer answer, but it depends. Um, oftentimes I will write something in, so I'll give you an example. Uh, they wanted, one of my legacy customers wanted this really complex, like scheduling component for scheduling work orders for, um, for maintenance workers. And there I could have pulled a bunch of jQuery stuff off the shelf and kind of gotten it to work with vb.net and web forms the way it wanted it done. But I chose instead to write it in React, right? And I just kept the I kept the code really simple, just React as the drag and drop interface and then uh, .NET receiving the API. And I think that was a really good choice because I didn't know of a better way to do it in vb.net that would and and uh, web forms that wouldn't have been a total like a, a big pile of code because one of the things I have to do is always be conscientious of the fact that I'm not going to be around forever. Somebody's going to inherit this. So I got to write it assuming that this person is going to inherit this code one day or the next person is going to inherit the code. So I have to think about that. Um, so if we're talking about adding new features, sometimes they want an extra data grid on the page. Okay. Put in a data grid, add a SQL data source. You're done. It takes me half an hour to do tops, uh, maybe an hour with testing, um, and, uh, you know, push it out to the app, push it out to the users. And they're totally happy with that. If they're talking about significant changes to a page or a suite of functionality, that's when I start to evaluate, okay, maybe we'll add something like Yarp to the project. And I'd start to think about doing this in, uh, a, like a razor page, uh, not something I do super often. A lot of times I just, I, I like COBOL. My mom is a COBOL programmer, so COBOL is not going away anytime soon. So oftentimes I usually, because people are so focused on rewriting. Engineers love to rewrite things because they love the technical challenge. And I like writing things too. And I like rewriting things, but from a business perspective, oftentimes it's just cheaper, easier, and just really the best choice to just write it in the language that the rest of the application is written in. Um, so I, I'll sum it up by saying again, it depends, but um, it, it, yeah, it just really depends on the, on the project. And, uh, but I could talk about that all day. I go plenty of examples of times where I've rewritten 
uh, applications and I do rewrite them. Uh, I, I do, I will rewrite them if I feel like, but usually they're smaller applications or smaller bits of functionality. And I'm leveraging great new pieces of .NET technology like Yarp, yet another reverse proxy to add, to seamlessly add, you know, a .NET core to a existing .NET framework project. Um, so th that's kind of my question here. Um, one, in my head, one of the biggest changes that happened to .NET over the last couple of years was the was the introduction of .NET Core. Well, it was a couple of years; it was oh, a while ago. But do, do you, did you see a, a shift in the preference towards .NET when .NET Core was released? And the folks out there in the chat, uh, .NET Core is just being able to run .NET on on, on Linux and 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 and, and Mac OS. So. Yeah. And I mean, it was so much more than that too. Whereas Microsoft, I mean, .NET Core really represented a fundamental shift in how Microsoft did supported, you know, .NET. Um, and I, I'll give, I'll give a plug to Richard Campbell's uh, book, History of .NET. I don't think he's actually released it yet, but Richard Campbell knows all about how, like how this transitioned. A lot of people do. Um, the, the big, Worst kept secret is that Silverlight was .NET Core or became oh. .NET Core. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So Silverlight was the, the the transition when they retired that they transitioned to like a lot of that code base to .NET Core. Um, and so getting to your question though, uh, yes, I mean it was not only a fundamental shift for Microsoft because .NET Core is pretty much done in the open and it's not done yeah. perfectly, but it's done a lot better than it was before. Um, yeah. MVPs used to have like months in advance notice when there were features when there were feature changes uh, and uh, really couldn't talk about it, couldn't tell their companies about it. Nowadays, it's mostly done where the MVPs are maybe a month ahead of what the general public goes, uh, which is a good thing. I think that developing in the open is good. Um, and I did notice a shift in .NET. I mean, a lot of, I, I feel like .NET started to be taken more seriously when it wasn't bound to Windows, when it wasn't yeah. bound to IIS, when you could host it on Linux, when you could host it on, um, you know, Mac, I, I develop on a Mac every day. Uh, that's what I do most of my development on. Now I do have a tiny little windows machine over here. <laughs> it's a box this size. It's a Intel NUC box. And that's what I remote into for my .NET framework development. Uh, but most of the times I'm using, you, you plug JetBrains, you mentioned JetBrains writer. I love writer. I think writer is probably the greatest software for .NET, a .NET developer could have. So I did notice a fundamental shift. I feel like people took it more seriously. Um, and it's made, developing so much nicer i think in general i think yeah and, and, Fra and francois when 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 you run dotnet on on lambda on abs that is basically dotnet core right that would be the yeah it's core. yes um it, it's it runs on linux and linux, indeed yeah. um and um aws uh jumped into the bandwagon of dotnet core uh, very soon after uh, um, the release of .NET Core, we started to support uh, .NET Core on AWS Lambda because it was running on Linux. So why why couldn't we uh, have the .NET uh, runtime uh, manage .NET runtime on AWS Lambda? So yes, and so now we the official uh, version is .NET six, and we've announced uh, .NET eight for next January. It's in the AWS Lambda documentation. So we should have .NET 8 at the managed uh, runtime on LRS Lambda in January. So yes. Um, and there are tremendous um, performance improvement with .NET 8 because we will be able to benefit from uh, native IoT compilation. So for cold start and things like this, it will it will be amazing. Um, Justice, I'm... Uh, <laughs> 
uh, .NET folks from uh, AWS uh, has made an early benchmark. And we fall far be uh, very uh, short behind Rust when we use okay. uh, native AOT compilation. So basically, it's it's uh, compile code, so it's very fast. That is pretty good. That is pretty. That's good. awesome. Yeah. And um, and for for the new project, so what do you see, uh, Spencer, for for new project nowadays? Uh, does your customer ask for .NET by default, or do they still are they still hesitant between .NET framework and .NET uh, seven eight? Uh, One of the cool things about being a consultant uh, with customers, I've I've had very often very often amazing customers. All of my customers are awesome. Um, and only a couple of times have I had bad ones that wouldn't listen to me. Uh, and most of the time, luckily I'm very privileged because my customers usually just trust my judgment. If I tell them, I think that if you're just adding a page and you just want to display a new data grid or new report, uh, let's just add another, you know, we can add another VB.net page. And oftentimes for testing, the testing web form story is not good. So um, I know that it's possible, but most of the time I just use Cypress uh, to test with. And that's that's added a huge amount of value, um, those those kinds of tests. Um, but oftentimes for new stuff, I'm almost like if it's a new file, new project, I never, ever go web forms. Uh, I will always go .NET Core or something. Uh, recently, I've really started um, looking into Blazor uh, more. And I, I was kind of... I'm. I should preface by saying I'm not a cutting edge person. I see cutting edge as risk and I see risk as bad for businesses because ultimately I'm paid to provide value, not to, you know, add the coolest new technology. Uh, but I found that uh, Blazor server specifically uh, is a really cool uh, piece of technology. Uh, but oftentimes uh, I will use uh, React. React Native is something that I'll use a lot uh, for mobile development. It's actually our preferred mobile platform uh, for writing mobile or preferred platform for writing mobile apps is React Native. Uh, I, I'm sorry to say that I don't touch Maui and I don't touch Xamarin anymore, uh, but with .NET APIs backing them all the way. Um, so most of the time, it's and if I'm adding to an existing project, usually the decision point's a lot easier. I'll just go with what the project does automatically. Um, but if it's file new project, it's almost always um, ASP.NET because I'm a, mainly a web developer. So, so it's ASP.NET Core with Razor Pages or Blazor uh, typically. Okay, and uh, so how do you choose it? I'm still puzzled between Razor Pages myself and, and Blazor. So how do you choose between one uh, over the other? Um, I I say that I'm not a cutting-edge person, but I do take the opportunity to experiment. Um, so typically I will go, if it's going to be a very large application uh, and I don't exactly, or I don't exactly know how it's, I'll usually go to the less risky alternative, which Blazor still, I mean, it's not new by any stretch. Uh, it's been around for a while, but there's one of the things I have to evaluate is whether or not, again, I have to think about the developers that come after me. And one of the things I have to evaluate is whether or not a, an application is going to be, um, what's the what's the right way to say this? I need to make sure that if, if and when my job becomes complete and they hire the next developer, there has to be a pool of developers to choose from. And if I've written an entire huge complex thing in Blazor, there's really not as many Blazor engineers as there are uh, just ASP.NET Core or ASP.NET MVC or Razor, uh, Razor uh, developers. So 
oftentimes I'll just go for a large project. I'll usually just go uh, razor pages, um, maybe add a little blazer here and there if a particular page needs it. Um, but I, I find that uh, the development model for um, razor pages is a little more easy to to kind of grok over blazer which does require kind of a shift in thinking for smaller projects though where i don't where it's not as mission critical i'll i'll, I'll absolutely with my customers buy and use that as an opportunity to um to experiment a little bit i'll say hey let's let's build this in this technology if we hate it we can always rewrite rewrite it because it's so small at this point that rewriting isn't a big deal uh, but this is an opportunity for us to look at new technologies and see, do we want to shift some of our development over to uh, using Blazor instead of um, ASP.NET? Uh, so, yeah. or uh, ASP.NET MVC. Um, so typically it's just the size of the project, the risk it, involved in the project. But because I do a lot of mobile apps and a lot of uh, React stuff, I'm mostly writing APIs, which I love writing APIs. I saw somebody say REST in the REST in the be is the best. And uh, yes, I, I agree with that. Uh, the beauty, the beauty of APIs is that you can kind of like. Uh, I'm a big fan of 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 having you know the freedom to choose what language and what framework you want to use. When when building good APIs, you can build your APIs in .NET Core and have any kind of front end, right, or any kind of application interact with them if they can. So uh, if if they support support REST, absolutely. So absolutely, big, big fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe for those who don't know, because I just realized that we, we were um, talking about uh, Razor Pages and Blazor, but uh, maybe some of the folks who are uh, watching us don't really know what are Razor Pages and Blazor. Can, can you give us a, a bit of detail of what are those uh, technology and what are the difference? Gotcha. Um, Razor Pages is kind of uh, the the best way I can describe it comparing those two for those who aren't in .NET is Razor Pages is more of a classic like, hey, I've got to add a form to a page. I need to push a button. I need to bind it to some model in the back end and then save a record to the database. But you're still doing a, the browser's doing like a native post request typically outside of, uh, I, I usually just use it where, it where it just, you know, post request, not with, uh, not with JavaScript and then save something to a database, do some validation. Uh, and move on with my life. So it's more of a classic kind of like, like push a button and the page refreshes and, you know, it comes back. Uh, very easy to program, uh, very low risk because there's just not a lot of moving parts and the moving parts that are there are 30 years old. So there's, you, you, you it's rock solid, reliable. Um, whereas Blazor is a little bit more, uses a little bit more of a, of like a, a web, it uses WebSockets heavily, at least the Blazor server that I use, what uses WebSockets heavily behind the scenes to communicate between the client and the server and keep those pages up to date. Uh, and so it is very different in terms of like it, the, the, the paradigms that you use in Razor pages for just classic post request or get request, you know, uh, they don't, they don't necessarily follow with Blazor because there's actually WebSocket communication going back and forth. So you have to keep that in mind when you're when you're programming on Blazor. Uh, it's more complicated, but the good thing is, is you don't get page refreshes. And so you can do a lot of cooler things. It's more of like having, it's more like React than, uh, it's, it's more akin to like Blazor's more like React and uh, where you've got this spa framework almost. Um, it's more complicated than that, but I think that's a good analog. Uh, whereas Razor Pages is just classic. Yeah, hey, I'm just going to do a post request, save it to the database, yeah. and refresh the page. So, so question about Blazor. Again, I'm a person who does not do .NET or anything. Is Blazor something like, does Blazor do 
does it generate JavaScript or is it something like more WebAssembly or something like that? That's a good like, question. Um, I haven't, so Blazor has a few different flavors. In fact, there was one introduced, a new flavor introduced in .NET 8 that I know nothing about. But the, okay. two, the two ones that have been around uh, for a while are the Razor, or sorry, uh, Blazor WebAssembly. So there is a WebAssembly component where it's like, and I think that's where Blazor started. Uh, Steve Sanderson, I believe, was the was the champion of uh, yeah. with Blazor. He invented and he basically demoed like, hey, I'm just going to compile this .NET and WebAssembly and put it in the browser. And then Microsoft saw it and was like, this is awesome and did a bunch of investment in it. Um, I don't do the WebAssembly stuff. Uh, I don't okay. need that kind of, I, I, I haven't found a need to, um, and I, I know there's use cases out there, but for my customers, I can't think of one. Uh, but I do use the Blazor server uh, quite a bit, which does use the the WebSockets to communicate back and forth at the server and provide um, provide that uh, that that nice, clean, kind of clean spa like experience. Okay. Yeah the 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 main use case I've I've seen for Blazor WebAssembly would be uh, you need um, an application that um, are um, reliable for when you go offline. Online, so you want yeah. your application to be to be able to run offline. So it runs uh, all in the browser. You, you you use local storage and so on. And when you recover a connection, then you can send back data to uh, your backend API. That's, um, to, in my opinion, the most uh, appealing uh, use case for Blazor WebAssembly. Yeah, and that's that's very different from Blazor Server, which requires that persistent connection, uh, which is you get a good user experience, you know, with it, as long as that connection stays up. But as soon as the connection goes down, you, you know, you're kind of frozen in time. You can't do much. Yeah. I think, um, uh, uh, travel back in what you've said, you, you were talking from, uh, to, from, uh, about one of your customer doing some, um, .NET, uh, in Kubernetes, uh, is it .NET framework in Kubernetes or is it uh, .NET uh, Core, .NET 8 in Kubernetes? Uh, I was wondering. Yes, it's .NET 6. Um, I, 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 I'm going to preface by saying I know very little about Kubernetes. Uh, it required an investment. Uh, it, I should say I know enough about Kubernetes to be functionally, to, un to understand exactly kind of, like I can look at the, the YAML files that actually spin up the uh, pods and containers and know, generally speaking, what's going to happen. But Kubernetes requires an, a huge, like a, a fairly decent investment and it required an investment on this customer's part in terms of just people being able to maintain the application. So they have Kubernetes people is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I am going to guess that you probably can run Windows containers in Kubernetes. I personally wouldn't. I, I'd probably go with some kind of container service running a Windows containers possibly, you know, utilizing one of the many cloud providers, uh, different ways of executing those. And you'll have to tell me if AWS has something where, where you can execute Windows containers. I assume you do. I see the nodding. All right. I don't know. To, I'm just going to say I, I use AWS a lot, but actually on uh, more for node development. Um, but at any rate, um, no, most of the, all, all the stuff they're doing is .NET 6. Um, and they got burned a little bit early on. They chose at the time, the new shiny .NET 5. Uh, not at the time, it seemed like a great idea because .NET 3.1, you know, it's look, listen, 3.1 is 1.9 less than five. So obviously we want to go .NET 5 and then <laughs> realize quickly that, oh, all these cloud providers, they, when the, the framework goes 
gets and gets retired. It's not LTS, right? It's, you know, they have only supported for a year. All of a sudden, these cloud providers, they're not supporting it either anymore. Uh, and so they had to hurriedly move to .NET 6. And believe me when I say it was not a hurried, hurried process by any stretch. Um, but to answer your question, .NET 6 on Kubernetes, period. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't bother running uh, Windows. I would totally find a different way to, to do the thing that I was doing. Uh, if somebody said, hey, can you put .NET Framework on Kubernetes? I'd probably say, all right, maybe we should talk for a while and figure out what you're going to try to do. Yeah, I, I guess putting Windows container into Kubernetes, uh, it works. You can do it on um, on AWS with Amazon EKS. Uh, but probably I, w- I wouldn't recommend this to a customer. Uh, yeah. Because yet it's still a Windows container, so you have a large image, a container image, so it will take time to download all your host and many other troubles. So, yeah, um, yeah. In my opinion, Windows, Windows, and container they go together, but they go together because containers are a thing. But like a Linux container, like to me, it just feels kind of unnatural. Like a Linux container is just like, oh, you know, it's a container, and and that's the kind of the the way God intended, as it were, or the way of God of programming. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, it's it, but Microsoft has done a lot of things when it comes to optimizing optimizing container Windows for containers, right? It's still a big old operating system. It's still a lot of heavy lifting, but it it has gotten better. I mean, at least you can run Windows on containers. So yes, that, that that's is a that's absolutely. But uh, all the container work that I've done, almost none of it has been in a Windows container. Uh, I've I've seen. I I was I worked once with a cloud engineer who that's for the for the particular people that he was working with. He was consulting with that tended to be the the best option. And I agree. And after kind of assessing what he was doing, I agreed with him. Uh, and I can think of at least one of my clients that could benefit from running their application uh, containerized. Um, but you know, why it, yep. it's it's convincing him to spend the money, and uh, oftentimes I just don't have that argument. If I I I have to believe that I ha- think it has value first before I, I convince a customer that they need to pay for it too. Yeah. Um, coming back to uh, the long term support. Um, so, how this shift in the way uh, the .NET team handled. Uh, support for all the different version of .NET. Oh, um, does it impact your customer? It impacts my customer mainly by, I, I go back to the thing, I, know, I keep saying this, I'm just not a cutting edge person. So the way that impacts my customer is that it just impacts my recommendation. Uh, oftentimes, if, I, if I'm asked to build something, you know, in .NET Core, I'm going to be asked, like, you know, I may be, if they even know to ask what .NET Core version are you using? Um, I'm not, I'm almost never going to recommend that they go something that's not LTS. Um, and, and the reason I do that is just because we have to hurry and update things at the end because if, if, because deployments impacted, right. Uh, we actually encountered something recently. We've, we encounter this all the time where we're forced to make upgrades when we don't necessarily want to, when we just want the technology to get out of the way so we can deliver the value. Uh, and in this case, it was uh, they they needed to upgrade Node version because Lambda was retiring. I think it was Node twelve support, and um, because of that, we had to hurry and upgrade all of our uh, our our uh, our Lambda functions to a LTS version of Node. So it's the same kind of thing, really. It's .NET and Node are pretty much the exact same way. They both have these on off on off. I can't remember if it's the evens or odds for Node. I think it's evens are the are the cutting edge and the uh, in the odds. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm speaking right. I see the nods. 
So, um, so I'll often go for the, I'll often, it just impacts my recommendation at the end of the day. I, I almost never go with anything cutting edge because there's usually nothing that my customer needs inside of that cutting edge um, version of .NET uh, that they couldn't get with a, a slightly older version that's going to be supported a lot longer. And to me, it's a risk. It's a risk thing. It's just and, risk and management. And I truly appreciate that because uh, I used to unfortunately work with a person who who made some tech decisions. And uh, anytime anything new was released, we automatically upgrade to that new, which, believe it or not, caused problems. Like, so, yeah. I don't know, the latest version of, of, of Red Hat would come out and we would automatically upgrade all of the stuff to the latest version just because, like, a whole distro upgrade. I. <laughs> I, I love the that engineers have that inventiveness. I love that they have this pursuit in like learning and trying new things, but it has to be contextualized with the business that you're working in. Go, you can go home and you can try hell, fork the fork the code base at home if your company allows you, and then try the upgrade yourself and see what happens. But we don't have to, or you know, use that as an opportunity to experiment. You don't have to do that in a business every time. And I fight against that because engineers love to do that. And I love that. I, I I love that engineers have that pursuit of knowledge and they want to try new things. The problem is, is that in business, it's just oftentimes seen as a risk point. And I try to mitigate that risk as much as possible. So I fight that mentality to the point where I'm still writing VB.net every week. So I maybe I'm not doing something right. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I fully agree with you. Again, I, I keep saying this to people like, you know, um, the best programming language is the one you know and the yes. same thing works for frameworks and 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 tech stacks the best one is the one that works for you right absolutely. it delivers you the absolute business value that you need to so rushing headfirst into new releases and things is kind of problematic and i don't know .net 8 is released like uh if you personally and your company does not benefit from .net 8 should you upgrade i don't know maybe not um, um maybe wait or whatnot so but right yeah. I, I have a kind of a funny story on that where i learned that kind of early on i learned that lesson about upgrade. I mean, I've learned that lesson a few times in my career. When you're young and in your career, like coming in, you just want to try everything. And I was given a lot, like I said, my first company, I was given a huge amount of room to experiment and try different things. But one night, one time I took a consulting job on the side where I decided it was like a web scraping job. And I decided that was a good time to learn F sharp. And what that resulted in is it resulted in late delivery and a lot of sleepless nights trying to get this thing to work. Like I would stay up till four in the morning and then wake up at seven to go to my work, um, just trying to get this thing delivered. Because by adding F sharp, by trying something new, I put my the project at somewhat risk. And it was an all or nothing thing. The guy was like, if you don't deliver this, I'm not paying you. And I think it was $1,400. And the hourly rate turned into be, well, it probably cost me not a huge amount of time, 50, 60 hours, but you know, divided out, that's not a huge amount of money. I was proud at the end of the day and I was happy with the work, but learned a good lesson. Like I, I tried something new and by trying something new, I made my job a lot harder than it needed to be. Yeah, that's, that's a very uh, good story because uh, I think at some point uh, we, we all work this uh, journey from when we are junior developer, we want to test everything and all the latest technology. I was at that point uh, in my career where, oh, something new, let's try it. Yeah. And then you, you, you get beaten, you, you get beaten, uh, I get that the world. And then you are, okay, let's be careful. Right. I don't want to, 
to work over the night just because I've made a, a mistake in in the choice I've made in terms of technology. Yes. Um, I would say my my fa- one of my favorite phrases is that I just love a boring stack. I yeah. I I have a I have a job where like I like I like simple. I and I stress this to my engineers like we don't have to over engineer everything, you know. And and the people that I work with, the people that work for me are awesome. Excuse me, they hear me talk about this all the time. So let's just do it the most straightforward way, deliver the value because that's what the customer is paying for. Uh they're not paying for us to always, you know, put projects at risk by trying the 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 latest and greatest and there are some great things that have come out uh net aspire for instance is looking very promising um which is the uh i believe their microservices uh their latest microservices deployment framework i have yet to look into it um but i'm excited about it am i going to suggest it to a customer today probably not right away especially since it's still in preview yeah i get that um i have a Another question. Uh, I'm shifting a, a little bit of topic. Uh, we've discussed this point uh, during the pre-show. Um, I would like to to have your perspective on uh, generative AI and all the tooling that uh, that are coming. For, for example, last week at reInvent we with Preenance, uh, Amazon Q uh, got translation for .NET. So basically, what we announced last week is um, got translation for Java. So it will it's generative AI technology to automatically move Java 8 and Java 11 code base to Java 17. And we've printed the same thing for uh, .NET to go from .NET framework to .NET uh, latest version. So what are your thoughts on all those technology uh, powered by ge- generative AI and can, that can help developers? Absolutely. Um, so I will say that a lot of developers fear AI, for want of a better term, they're fear that they're going to take their jobs. I'm not a believer that that's going to happen, um, first and foremost. So I've made a huge investment in AI in terms of I've introduced my employees to Copilot. I say, I've introduced, the, I've introduced them to OpenAI. I say, they all have company credit cards. And I say, if you want to use it, if you want to get the advanced version, if you're finding value, just buy it. I don't want to know, just just buy it. Because at the end of the day, I go back to the value is we're, we're being paid to do a job. And if we're able to do that job faster, that keeps us relevant for longer. Um, I found that code or sorry, AI has been a huge boon in productivity. Uh, and there's a lot of things that it's good at a lot of simple stuff that it's good at. I, it helps me do some more complex tasks. Um, uh, for instance, I did use it to translate. I did use it recently. I had to, for one of my customers, I had to decode this like really, really obscure. I had to decode this really obscure audio format and, okay, and I found a, a, a 10, like a eight year old repo where somebody wrote a Python file to do it. So I said, all right, translate this to .NET. And it did it almost perfectly. I mean, it worked. I think it worked the first time and I just made a few changes to make it more .NET like. Um, so it's, it's, it's huge. It's in, in my opinion, like what the biggest shift that I've seen since I started writing software. Um, as far as the translation tools go, I think you can very easily translate C Sharp for .NET Framework stuff. You can translate C Sharp and you could translate VB.NET very easily to .NET Core. Where it gets really murky is when you have to put in something like web forms into it. I don't think I could hand it a fairly complex web forms page, tell it to make ASP.NET Core code and expect it to have any, like, have any reasonable expectation of like success right away. I recently tried to have it like I, I gave it the source code for a web forms application. And I said, hey, 
I just want to, all this thing is doing is binding data to a UI and then saving that to a different part of the database. It's taking it from one database, binding it to the UI, saving it to a different part of the database. So what I want you to do is I just want you to skip all that and write a stored procedure. And no matter what I did with it, it was one of the first times where I realized that AI still has a long way to go. It could not figure out, oh, this text box equates to this column inside of this database field. Even though it was clean code, it was code that I wrote, so I at least I felt like it was clean. It was moving it into, I, I think it was using Entity Framework 6 to like save it to an object. It should have been, a developer could have seen it and done it in a couple of hours. And this AI struggled with it. So I think once you start adding things like, hey, translate this entire page, these entire concepts, this entire, uh, this entire business logic that's been kind of bound to this complex web forms page and tried to do it in ASP.NET Core, or really you could say it for anything. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that the, I don't know much about Java Spring, but I, I th I'm sure that there's an analog for this. Some kind of, you know, you could do uh, Cold Fusion, for instance, and have it translated to Java Spring. I think you'd encounter the same problems because what the AI doesn't have is all of that context. Why was it written this way? Who wrote it this way? Maybe what in the code is just writing around some feature or some bug that was in the framework that was kind of obscure, right? Uh, you lose all of that. And the AI is going to do its best job, but I think from that perspective, we have a long way to go. Anything super complex, um, the AI just falls over. I think Java 11 to Java 17, that's a perfect use case for automated AI. My friend Jamin, uh, who runs a consultancy, a React Native consultancy called Infinite Red, he uh, wrote a tool to help upgrade React Native applications. And it was an AI, it's an AI generative, it's a generative AI tool that allows him to better refactor existing uh, React Native applications. But doing it in a way that's really kind of sort of straightforward, easy for an AI to do, repetitive task almost. Um, so anyways, I said a lot, but, uh, and I, by the way, and in the pre-show, we did talk about Amazon Code Whisper, which I hadn't even heard of. So I've already got a tab open to, to look into that. Um, Cause I think it was announced recently, wasn't it? Oh, Code Whisper uh, is like a, a year old, but um, is it a wow, year Wow, okay. Well? I really feel behind yeah, I've been using Copilot. It has been announced uh, uh, one year ago. It's it has been GA in spring um, around April, uh, if I remember well. And um, last week it has been augmented with Amazon Q. Uh, so Amazon Q is our, our kind of AI uh, chat assistant everywhere. Uh, so you have um, Amazon Q in VS Code and uh, JetBrains IDs. So you can have uh, this kind of chat discussion with your AI assistant and discuss the code you want and iterate on the code you want, or you can ask Amazon Q to explain part of the code you, you are uh, watching. So I love this feature because when you open the code from someone else, uh, sometimes you don't have any comments, you don't, you don't understand because the, I think as developer, we all have our own writing style. Mm. Yes, and sometimes it it helps to just select the code and say explain the code to me, and the chat uh, explain the code in a natural language way. It it really helps to get started with the co with some code you don't know. So you have those um, all these kind of uh, uh, helps, and it, you also have uh, Amazon Q in the AWS console, for example. So it is the same assistant that you can get into your IDs, but as uh, as well in the console. So of course, it 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 will give different advice based on the, where you you use it. But yeah, 
So um, that's where. And yeah, coming back to Code Whisperer, I, I love it because if you are using AWS, um, it really knows the AWS SDK. So it really knows how to use. Um, I, I've run uh, a demo last week. So really about this demo. You, just ask Code Whisperer, okay, I want to store some data in a DynamoDB table. Just put these comments. And then trigger Code Whisperer uh, to get it, generate the code. Um, so the first suggestion was with, it, it was suggesting to use low-level API from the SDK. And then I said, oh no, I do prefer to use the document model way to store my data because the SDK uh, offers three different ways. Low-level API, document model, and object persistence model. Just change the namespace at the beginning of the file, retrigger Code Whisperer, and this time it provides the, th the suggestion with uh, the document model API. And to me, it's like exactly like Werner framed it. So Werner Vogel is our CTO. Uh, he framed this uh, last week. He say uh, AI suggests human decide. So to me, it's exactly like this. Um, Code Whisperer knows the different way to store data with DynamoDB table, but I choose which one I want to use. So yes. it's really AI suggests and we decide. Yes, and I think that that's a really critical point of, like, I, I think a lot of develop. I've, I've mentioned a lot of developers fear AI. I don't think they have a lot to fear because it is really powerful, but it's not super powerful yet. It's not powerful enough to take, to think like a human. Um, the, and, and I often and I often hear people push back on it saying that like, well, I what I'm afraid of is the Stack Overflow developer that copy and ask the AI to write something, copy paste code that they don't understand, which I think is a, a valid fear, same as it is for uh, a, a slightly valid fear, same as it is for Stack Overflow. Because at the end of the day, we want our engineers to really understand what they're doing. Um, and that's why oftentimes if I showcase AI at my company or the back and forths that I'll have with uh, ChatGPT, I will, I'll say like, here's how I asked it to do something. And here's how I kind of got out of it. What I really wanted by asking questions to it, uh, and really showcasing, you know, to it, they're telling it like, Oh, you know, you made a mistake here because AI makes mistakes that they hallucinate things all the time. Um, so generally speaking, uh, I do think it's really, I think it's really powerful, but I still encourage my engineers to like, don't just copy paste the code, take it, take a moment to understand what it is you're copying and pasting in so that you can grow as a developer uh, and also kind of know, you know, question, question what it is you're putting in there because at the end of the day, you might be putting in something not likely you're putting in something too bad, but, um, you know, man, it's mostly as their growth as a human <laughs> and as a developer. Yeah. yeah. We are uh, approaching the, the end of the show, Spencer. Um, if there's something uh, more that you want to share with us, uh, uh, a final thought uh, before uh, we end the show? Uh, I don't really have much to share other than my company, Averon Software. Uh, we do .NET. Uh, we do AWS. We may even do other cloud providers that aren't AWS. Uh, we do .NET, React, React Native. Um, and so our our people are kind of a, uh, we can augment teams or, you know, be experts as and, and help transition uh, people's code bases uh, or as it were or we can help uh, sling code for modern applications too. Um, so that, 
Um, just some other random things, just random people to plug. Uh, I, I, I mentioned earlier the, the history of .NET, which is a long and storied history. Richard, if you're listening, please release your book. I would love to see it. I would love to read it. I'm excited about that. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll mention just a couple of other great uh, ASP.NET resources. Uh, Andrew Locke, uh, Steve Gordon, they come to mind. Those are blog posts that I encounter uh, frequently. Uh, but other than that, I really don't have much to say other than uh, yeah, that's my website on the screen. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, and um, can people meet you at some future .NET conference or uh, meetup? Or... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I hit uh, conferences in the Midwest frequently. Uh, I go overseas sometimes, uh, especially to the NDC conferences, which if you're a .NET person or a polyglot person, NDC is, in, in terms of the fun at the con conference and in terms of the content, is just the best in the business. Um, so uh, yeah, you'll see me. Uh, you'll see me around um, here and there. I love like I just came from Poland a few weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about jet lag on the on the call. Man, that that jet lag hit me on <laughs> the pre show. That jet lag hit me hard, but I had a great time in Poland nonetheless. Okay, great. Um, Spencer, thank you for uh, for being with us uh, today. Um, so this uh, this live stream will be available as an audio post podcast as well. So uh, people, if you load uh, the show, uh, subscribe to the uh, LBS Twitch channel, but you can also subscribe to uh, our audio podcast uh, on your favorite platform, uh, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform podcast platform you are using. Uh, thanks for joining us today and have Absolutely. a good week. You do the same. Thanks so much for having me. Bye, friends. Bye. Bye.